How long have you lived in New York? I've lived in New York for 22 years. How much of New York inspires these stories and your experiences in and around New York? New York has inspired many of the stories, but not all of them. New York is such a vital, diverse place that it's a great setting for stories. Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. And I have a special episode entitled, The Psychology of Desire. I've become fascinated with the idea of desire. What is it? Should it be considered the destination or a mere compliment on a journey? And how much desire do you need to sustain a healthy relationship? Should desire be the glue that bonds a relationship? Or are there higher ideals you should consider? How much does desire matter over the span of someone's life? Surely an 88-year-old versus a 38-year-old versus an 88-year-old. We have a fundamentally different relationship with desire. This episode is not designed to be definitive, nor is it produced to provide all the answers. But I wanted to bring on best-selling author Donna Weinberg, the author of Artifacts and Other Stories, a brilliant book of short stories to inspire you to go to the mirror and ask yourself, how much does desire influence how my brain sees myself, self-love, relationships, career, happiness, and ultimately, your walk through the world? Thanks for choosing this episode. I'm Timothy Maurice, your behavioral psychology author, and my goal is to help you simplify the brain and understand your own behavior and those that matter in your life. My guest today is a former contributor to Psychology Today, one of my favorite publications, and she's based in New York. Donna Weinberg is an extraordinary author and a sheer delight to chat to. Enjoy. Before we dive into your wonderful book and we talk desire, I'd like to explore what we call inside the mind, where I ask you fun, seven fun questions to get inside of your mind. Can we do that? Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. So the first question is ebook or printed book? Printed book. Okay. And writing next to a beach or writing in the mountains for you? Ah, that's a hard choice. Um, Writing in the mountains. Mountains. And while you're in the mountains, coffee or tea? Tea. Lovely. To be calm. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Ballet or opera? Opera. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Thanksgiving. Uh, When it comes to movies, romance or drama? Romance. And then the last one, I suspect this was going to be a tough one. Poetry or short stories? It is tough. Um, short stories. Awesome. But it's a tough choice because I like Yes, yes, yes. Well, I am fascinated by your career. Thank you for that, by the way. I'm fascinated by your career coming from being a lawyer to an author. I think so many people dream of making that pivot. <laughs> were you always, even as a lawyer, uh, a practicing lawyer, were you writing short stories back then or did you make a hard cut and then start focusing no i was always writing um when i when i began my career i was a public defender 
So is defending clients who couldn't afford to pay and were charged with crimes. And I used to sit in the courtroom waiting and I would write snippets of description. So I was always very interested in writing. Um, And and I wrote some stories about being a public defender. Oh, did you? Oh, I see. Were those your first stories? They were. I think the world is fascinated by law and the legal world. And I don't know what that's about. Have you ever figured out why are we so fascinated? If you think some of the top series in the world are about this work, why do you think we're so fascinated as human beings by it? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I think people are interested in justice. You know, they're aware uh, of, of crime, of misbehavior, and they're interested in understanding how the system works. And if I people see. are really held accountable to, for yeah, their actions, yeah. um, and especially also, now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there's also an additional layer, which is, you know, my work is in neuroscience, and I'm interested in the fact that I think we all have this primitive sort of underbelly and we all know that we're prone to do crazy things. (laughs) So it's like, this gives us a way of assimilating to put that strong filter to go, actually, I probably shouldn't do that. (laughs) Right. Right. We we're all capable of doing many things, good things and bad things. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you love writing? Is it something that you see? I mean, I know a lot of friends of mine who write are see it as arduous and difficult and painful. They don't enjoy it. They feel like it's their mission to put it out. What's your relationship with writing? I love writing, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It's it's very hard sometimes, and sometimes it's frustrating and challenging, but sometimes it's wonderful. And it's a great feeling to create something new. So the yes. shaping of it can be hard, but once I'm creating something new, it's a very joyous feeling. Lovely, lovely. So tell us a little bit about when you produced this work and you shared it with the women in your life or the women around you, what percentage of the women around you do you think identify with artifacts and other stories? I think almost a hundred percent of women I know. I was really surprised by and pleased by comments that I got, how people related so much to what I had written about. It was very gratifying. It was very interesting. A lot of the stories are about broken relationships and even friends and family members who are married um, related to many of the stories. You know, something I've been preoccupied with is why on earth are we becoming so sophisticated with such high level technology but it seems like when it comes to love and relationships, we're regressing as fast as we are growing in other areas such as technology. What is that about? I think the technology is very objective. It's black and white. It's solid. Scientific um, events usually have answers to them. But love is an emotion. Love comes from the heart. And it's something that we really can't quantify. And for each person, it's different. So there are no manuals for love at all. You know, there are manuals for how to do technology, but there's no real guide for how to navigate love, how to navigate desire, um, what to do with those things. So I think even though we're advanced scientifically in terms of love, as you say, we've really regressed. And it seems to me that we are overwhelmed with stimuli and options. 
you know, if you imagine our ancestors, maybe in their entire life, they met a couple hundred people. And now all of a sudden you can scroll through and expose yourself to thousands in a week and even as many options today. To, do you think our thresholds for each other is dropping? Yes. I think there are too many options and too many choices for people. So, for example, if you're in a relationship, but you're not happy with certain things, it's always possible to find someone else and to find many people. So there are endless options for them. And I don't think it serves us well. Yeah. You know, I want to shift and talk. I mean, part of the reasons why I wanted, like, I'm intrigued by your book, but when it comes to the actual focus on my podcast, I've been interested in desire and how do you engineer it? Should you hope that it comes organically or should you be proactively trying to create spaces to trigger desire? I I do think the movies make it seem like it just should happen automatically. What are your thoughts about desire? Sometimes desire does happen automatically. Sometimes you know, a woman may see a man and just be very taken with him. Let's let's use that example and, you know, imagine what it would be like to to be with him, to get to know him, even to sleep with him. There's that instant desire. But I think often desire really builds up. It's not something that's immediate and it can, you know, happen between friends or after you know someone for a long time. In my book, Artifacts and Other Stories, there's a story about a 79-year-old widower who places an ad in a personal um, newspaper and he meets a woman who's 70. And he only wants a traveling companion. But after he's known her for a long period, he experiences desire for her and they begin a romantic relationship. I don't think that's unusual. I think that desire is something that can build and it's probably more powerful when it builds than when it's instantaneous. Let's talk about the structure of the book and then we'll come back to desire. I mean, that specific story you left towards the end of the book. Is yes. there any sort of, let's talk about why you open with framing the picture and, you know, it's me, Lydia, to end the first section. What was your thinking around this? Well, framing the picture is about um, uh, a mother-in-law who's ill and a troubled marriage. And I felt that the book covered a lot, uh, not the book, that the story covered a lot of themes in artifacts and other stories in the book. And so it was a good way to open the book. Um, and I, and I ended that section with me. It's me, Lydia, as you mentioned, which Mm. is about two friends who are taking a walk in the rain and they're really talking about their lives. And I liked it because. The friends are discussing their current lives, their past lives, their problems. And the gist of the story is that they push through their problems to the next phase. And I liked ending the first section with that because um, there are a lot of problems in the first section. And I like the idea of being positive about it, of people pushing through issues in their lives. Then you open the second part with a modern woman. Yes. A modern woman is about um, a woman who doesn't feel modern at all. She's middle-aged and she compares herself to young women she sees at work, but she has a troubled marriage. Her husband has had an affair. And in that story, she decides to try and rekindle their relationship, to rekindle their desire. 
And I started the second part of the book with that because the story ends on a positive note that it's possible to have really severe problems in a marriage or relationship, but yet to rekindle that romance and that commitment. So I wanted it to be a positive beginning to the second section. Wow. What do you desire when it comes, what do you desire from the reader? What do you hope happens? That's a great question. I hope that the readers um, relate to the characters, they relate to the issues in the book, and they relate to the emotion. I hope that they're touched by the stories. And in some ways, the stories changes them and makes them think about their own lives. Oh, wow. You know, the the thought that there are millions of stories, right? There's There's endless stories. Every day I come across new people, new stories that just literally blow my mind. Um, where are you getting your stories? <laughs> like what? <Where? laughs> right. Do your friends tease you? Are they like, what is going on in your head? Where do you come up with right. this stuff? <laughs> right. It's true. They do. They say it doesn't seem like you. But yeah. I, the stories come from what I see in the world, what I see happening to friends and family members, and also what I've experienced. I've been divorced, so I understand the you know pain of separating and splitting up from a relationship. Um, so the stories come from all those places. Sometimes I might hear a snippet of conversation on a bus or at a party or a gathering, and there's something about the conversation which really clicks something inside me, and I decide to try to write a story you know, based on that. And I've used pieces of dialogue like that in a story. Um, yeah. And sometimes it feels as if someone is almost whispering a story to me. Some stories come out almost whole. And that's a great wow. experience. How long have you lived in New York? I've lived in New York for uh, 22 years. So and how much, not, not all of my adult life. Yeah. How much of New York inspires these stories and your experiences in and around New York? Um, New York has inspired many of the stories, but not all of them. Uh, New York is such a vital, diverse place that um, it's a great setting for stories. Uh, but other stories I said in the Midwest, which is where I'm from, and also I, I set them in Denver and Nashville, where I've also lived. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Let's just kind of hone back in on desire. Is desire overrated? When you think about, for example, the the fact that there are no manuals for either, you know, structuring a marriage or relationship or one for the passion for desire, et cetera, do you feel as though we should focus on, you know, the fundamentals of holding down a relationship and hope that desire come, but focus more on family and kids and so forth. How do we figure out the role of desire? Because it seems to me, along with the media and along with the, you know, the movies that just sort of paint this kind of romance around how life should be, that life is just, if you look at your stories, it's like life is tough sometimes. Like we get disease and we struggle. How much should desire play a role in a fundamental sustaining of a relationship? 
desire is like a fire. It's, it's something, you know, wonderful that, that may not last all the time. And you're right. Relationships are complex and life is very complex. So I think desire should play a role, but it shouldn't be the major role. Um, and we have to try and rekindle what we have in a relationship while we're dealing with family, children, illness, all the things that come up. So desire does have a place because I think it makes people feel alive, but it can't be the only place and we can't only be motivated by desire. If we were, people would be leaving, you know, marriages and children every day because it's, you know, more fun to feel desire than to be responsible for a family and actions. How much have your stories changed you? My stories have taught me a lot about what I think and what I feel and what I feel is possible in the world. So in that way, the stories are liberating. Um, the stories and artifacts and other stories didn't happen to me, um, or if they happened, didn't happen in that way. But I definitely learned a lot from the characters and I learned about myself and, and what I would want in my own life. You know, there's a, professor at Yale University, Dr. Tamar Jindler, who coined this concept called an alif, A-L-I-E-F. And she says it's your imagination's beliefs. And I think this is the magic of your book, that if I can go inside of this 79-year-old mind and heart and assimilate and really feel and believe it, then I can fundamentally learn from it and grow and experience it. And the ability to transport people to a space and emotion, how much responsibility do you take for that? Because somebody can go and feel the hurt and feel the pain. Like, how do you feel about the power to be able to do that? It's in a way it's, I feel grateful I feel it's it's a gift that someone has given me that sometimes works and sometimes does not work. But one of the things I try to do when I write is I try to feel the emotion myself and to step into someone else's life. In a way, it's a little bit like acting. I try to become that 79-year-old man and feel what he would feel. And if I feel that emotion when I'm writing, I have a sense that maybe the reader will feel that too. Oh, wow. Any one of these stories made you cry the most? Um, the story, we worry about the wrong things, which is about a mother who's very ill and dying, did make me cry at the end um, because I thought of my own mother and just, you know, the mother-daughter relationship, the child relationship, yeah. and what it means to lose a parent. Where can we follow you, your work? Are you on LinkedIn? What are your website addresses? For those who want to just, who are just intrigued by you as a writer and want to follow you, where can they follow you? Thank you. Um, my website is www.ronaweinberg.com. I guess that's not a dot com, but www.ronaweinberg. <laughs> and that's spelled W-I-N-E-B-E-R-G. And I uh, am on LinkedIn um, Rana Weinberg. I don't have the exact handle. Okay. And I'm, I'm on Instagram. Um, and that's at Rana Group. R-O-N-A-G-R-O-U-P. I'm not on Facebook, but I, and I'm on Twitter, which is at Rana Weinberg. Okay. 
Well, Ron and Reinberg, thank you for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. Keep writing, keep taking us to places that help us understand our relationship with desire and help us look in the mirror and really get a chance to know ourselves and explore the better versions of ourselves as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful interview.